We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. First pick in the 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University I'm not supposed of to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, so don't, don't make it. We're back. All right. Welcome in to a what's going to be a pretty busy show, I think, today. Um, you know, Brian made a comment earlier today in the group text that you can know, kind of set your watches <laughs> annually. They're like, you know, Monday of draft week, everything starts to really come to the surface. And certainly that has been the case. We'll talk about a lot of that today. Uh, let's get a, a few housekeeping notes taken care of here busby plus if, if you're not a part of it yet i would definitely encourage you to check it out you know i actually the the email went out this morning and it was just like a, i was having my coffee at work and i was like this is this is awesome i know that like i talk to these guys every day and i and i know some of this stuff but some of the things that richie plugged in there actually just just helped me catch up with, with all the action so there's really three things that you should be aware of ad free episodes which is a big deal for everybody if you're a podcast listener early access to episodes you know we, we record these things pretty frequently but they don't always drop the next morning after we record them um so you, you get a little early access in that way and then exclusive episodes i mean we're trying to put out more and more so to get some of that content that might not be available to everyone else uh, i would encourage you to check it out uh, it's good stuff richie our producer is doing an awesome job so, yeah, check that out. Buzzbeat Plus, you can find out more on Twitter or just DM one of us and we'll get you the information. On that note, before we jump in, BG, what's going on with you? Let's start there. Yep, I'm doing well, uh, other than not having my mic on. No, I'm enjoying a week of the draft. Uh, always fun. At this point, just trying to, like, sift through rumors that seem important and trying to, like, you know, uh, filter out what what is less important. And then also just trying to get as much kind of like last second uh, scouting in as possible with the draft, you know, 48 hours away here. So, you know, I feel prepared. I, I was I, I was telling someone the other day, like, uh, you know, if the draft had been on Sunday, I would have felt ready to roll. But when there's a little bit more time and, you know, can't hurt to get a few more prospects and get a few more games in. So, no, I'm ready for it. Excited for what's going to happen this week. 
yeah, especially with, you know, ACC guys and, and certainly seeing like what, what the Hornets are going to end up doing, but I'm doing well and ready to do some last minute stuff with you guys. And then obviously the, uh, the live pod uh, later this week when, when the draft actually takes place. Well, I'm glad to hear somebody's prepared and ready for this. I don't think Lee and I can uh, <laughs> can say the same thing. I'm definitely cramming, but excited to talk. Lee, what's going on? Yeah, I am. Uh, I, I'm, I'm genuinely feeling pretty good. Where where my cramming is coming into place over the last week here is some of these lesser known international guys, like not the mainstream, like Jovic or or Jang, like you know some of the back end international guys that I'm that yeah. I'm finally getting familiar with, and actually kind of like a few of them. Um, but we'll save that for the end of the episode. I am good. One of my favorite nights of the year, Thursday night NBA draft. I'll go ahead and kind of pre tease the fact that we'll be doing a live draft show um, in some capacity on Thursday night too. So ready to rock. Yeah, good good plug there. I'm excited for that as always. What what year is this in a row that we've done this? It's like five or six. It's since 2017, so this will be yeah six in a row now. That's pretty um, wild to think. So yeah, we were we were there the night we were the three of us, Richie Spencer and I, were together the night uh, Malik Monk fell, and there was <laughs> there was much rejoicing in the, uh, the the very small Busby Kingdom at that point in time. It didn't, it didn't, you know, it didn't work out the best, but uh, we were rather happy to see Malik fall that night to the Hornets. Um, so yeah, this will be so 17. We were there for 2018 with Miles Bridges, 2019 with PJ Washington, obviously 2020 with Lamelo, last year with with Book Knight and Thor and Kai Jones, and then um, yeah, we'll see who it'll be this season. But yeah, six in a row here. Yeah, that's that's wild. If you're if you're joining us live tonight, and you can see BG and you can see Lee there, and you can't see me. There's not a ghost in the background, and my my video is just not cooperating. So <laughs> I, I'll be audio only here. All right, well, good stuff. Yeah, we're excited for the week as always. I guess let's let's jump right in here because we've got a lot to talk about, and I think it has to start with the head coaching discussion or lack thereof uh, today. Woj tweets that Mike D'Antoni was meeting uh, with C- with president uh, of the team, Michael Jordan. And we can talk about the fallout from the Atkinson stuff if y'all want to, but you know, it's everything's moving so quickly at this point. Let's probably just focus on D'Antoni if we can. They are kind of doubling back on what was a reported finalist originally, you know, prior obviously to, to Atkinson accepting and then, and then walking away. You know, it's it's painful. Like I, I just kind of have a bad taste in my mouth from the whole process. BG, like I was, I was never the biggest D'Antoni proponent. My my preferred candidates were Atkinson, and I really came around on on Darvin Ham too. Obviously, he went to LA. It's. It's it's not the like look. This guy has success, full track record. Uh, he he unlocks creative offensive players. We have that in Lamelo Ball. Like it's it's not a disaster. Don't get me wrong. It's just the way this is all played out, and then going back to what seemed like a second or third choice is just a little painful. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's it's it, as the last couple of days, it's been debated back and forth. You know. How bad of a look is it? Who's it a worse look for? You know, there was some initial, there was some additional reporting from Jake Fisher this morning. Um, and I'm quoting from his article before Atkinson put pen to paper on his contract. He and the Hornets were unable to come to financial agreements for his new assistance. Sources said uh, Charlotte is known 
to be among the league's bottom five teams in coaching staff salary. Again, that's directly from Jake Fisher's piece. So it does seem like a bit of a sticking point was assembling a staff here for Kenny Atkinson and maybe how much that would cost. If, if that's really what it came down to, uh, and, I, and I'm guessing there's a variety of factors that were at play, but that's a, that's a pretty big own goal, you know what I mean, uh, in terms of Charlottesville. If you're not willing to, you know. This is the guy you actually believe in, and you just can't yeah. come to terms with, like, nickels yeah. and dimes on the assistance. Because, exactly, because this is a, a billion-dollar enterprise that's, yeah. that's run by a billionaire. And it's like, so in the scheme of things, you know, what would be a, a couple million or a couple hundred thousand dollars, like whatever the difference is, like, you know, it's, it's, it's a drop. It's just a line item. You know what I mean? Literally a couple line items for this franchise. And again, I'm sure a lot of stuff goes at play is at play here. And Atkinson seemingly made this decision to stick in uh, with Golden State for both personal and professional reasons. So again, I, I don't think it's just, you know, I don't know if this is the straw that broke the camel's back or if it was just a, one of the more sort of like notable reasons why this didn't happen. Whatever it is, it's a it's a tough look. Obviously, I'm not surprised to see Charlotte going back to Terry Stotts and to Mike D'Antoni, who were two of the other finalists. That makes sense for them to start the process there. Um, you know, it's tough because the draft. big preference between those two, Brian? Between those two, I mean, I think I would say D'Antoni. Um, I think, look, I have, I have quite a bit of respect for Terry Stotts. Um, both with what he did at, at, at Portland, building that into a consistent winner uh, post LaMarcus Aldridge, especially in, you know around Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. And that was a team that I don't think was great defensively, but had some years where they were sort of like better than the sum of their parts defensively. And I think Stotts gets some credit for that. That maybe would look a little appealing just with like kind of what Charlotte is trying to do and trying to like piece together the defense. But the thought of bringing in someone like Dan Tony to like soup up the offense around LaMelo and, and give the guy that has helped, you know, uh, develop Steve Nash, James Harden to now let LaMelo at age, you know, 20 going on 21 get to be that guy with other people like PJ Washington, Miles Bridges, James Booknight, guys that would seemingly fit into that picture. You know, it's interesting. I don't, I thought one of the reasons why I thought the Atkinson hire was a little interesting was the possibility that maybe they were going to look at this as like a, I don't know, almost like an intermediate rebuild, like they were, they were going to like hit the pause button a little bit and try to focus on the draft and player development. I didn't think that was going to happen, but I thought, Hey, maybe that was an interesting sort of like possible pathway for them to go forward. Obviously if you bring in someone like Dan Tony, like that's not, happening. you know, you're just going like full tilt. Like we're trying to win as many games as possible. This guy is, you know, he's a 70, whatever year old coach. And like, yeah, and the ownership wants to win now. So this is what we're doing. So I can understand some of the concerns and I would be interested to know, like what would the plan be defensively? Who's coordinating that? I think those would be some very important uh, topics to be addressed, but I, it would make the team interesting. And I would, I mean, I would be fascinated to know not just with the philosophy, but with some of, the, the like the genuine X and O's that Mike D'Antoni can coach up and run what that would look like with some of Charlotte's personnel. So I, I'm intrigued at the least, but, uh, but obviously this is like a, this is a tough situation and for the draft to be this close and for the front office to now all of a sudden, you know, you would want everyone rowing in the same direction right now. It's the week of the draft. 
you know, let's just let's just figure out what we're doing as far as trades, traffic, making sure we're all on the same page. And now it's like, you know, I guess you could kind of do that, but then you've got to put the coaching search on the back burner or you've got to now restart the coaching search and you're starting that back over with candidates that you just said, you know, you were option B for us, you know? <laughs> so it's like, it's just a weird place to be in. But, but yes, as far as D'Antoni goes, I don't know if he's the answer, but I would definitely have some optimism specific to the D'Antoni LaMelo relationship and development pathway and what that could also mean for some of the other young guys that are in the mix here in Charlotte. I was just going to hit on one point that uh, BG alluded to, which was that it would be really interesting to know, and it's going to be interesting to see who, let's say the D'Antoni thing happens, right? Like, like his assistant coaching staff, I think matters more than, than some other coaches because he's kind of got to have that right hand defensive coordinator, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, like that's a huge decision. And I think would be like really impactful and interesting to talk about when it happens. Yeah, it would be. I mean, it was Jeff Bezdelic in Houston, but right. uh, I don't, I don't think Wake Forest fans are allowing Jeff Bezdelic <laughs> back in the state. That was the weirdest thing Carolina. to me, BG. <laughs> it, it was like one of the worst Wake teams, and that's saying something in the last few decades. And it's like, oh yeah, Bezdelic's going to be the defensive coordinator in Houston. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> it was just the worst defense in the ACC last year. What do you mean? <laughs> It's just um, a different. Yeah. It's just it's it's very obvious that like the skill sets between being like a film junkie assistant coach in the NBA right, right. and like a guy that like is a the face of a program and yeah, it's just like a different. It requires a different set of skills, you know. Sure, no question. My like knee jerk, D'Antoni is just I'm not like super fired up about a guy coming in that's 70 years old, the young group like this. Although I think there's plenty for him to tap into offensively with Lamelo. I think that's probably the most obvious thing. And then surely if you bring Bridges back, I mean, like in a lot of ways, this is a good fit for certain aspects of the game. But the defensive piece, I just and combined with the fact that if I read the report earlier today, right, they want to keep some of the guys on the staffs that were on Borrego staff still here. It's like, well, I just. It's a so lot weird. of it doesn't make sense, so I'm just assuming there's a lot I don't understand. But every leaf that falls is a rotten one right can, now can, can off I, this tree. As we like, as we transition to this next topic, which is the Miles Bridges report, and Spencer, like you're just get you, you just you saying that is like getting me hot under the collar because I think I've allowed myself. I think I've tricked myself into thinking this is all of a sudden now a really well-ran organization because Mick, Mitch Kupchak has drafted well. And I've like I've let that like plant a seed in my brain that we're all of a sudden some like super efficient, well-ran organization. And I think this week has been a reminder, like like a sobering reminder that this is still – I mean, and it goes like to the bottom five paid-in coaches, the assistant coaching rumors, hesitancy, signing Miles Bridges to – like all of these things are just like rearing their ugly head. And it's like just because you've had a nice – couple nice second-round draft picks like doesn't necessarily mean you're the San Antonio freaking Spurs. Like I'm just yeah. – it's frustrating. Yeah, I think they definitely – like there, there have been times the last couple of years where like – they had chosen to pursue or not pursue certain trades, ones that I think they could have found some excess value along the margins. And it was sort of for a team that was theoretically rebuilding, that was sort of frustrating because you're just, you're leaving, you're leaving value. You're leaving, you know, possible extra picks. You're leaving mm-hmm. uh, cap space or whatever on, on the table. 
Um, I could kind of look past it to an extent because it felt like there was still some long-term vision yeah. and it felt like there was, they were still drafting well. And so I was like, okay, as long as you're being like relatively conservative, but like managing picks and you're drafting pretty well and Lamelo's the tent pole, it's like, I'll, I'll like, I'll live with some of like the missed opportunities to be like, you know, make quote unquote savvy trades. I think that's something Mitch Kupchak actually said at some point last yeah. couple of years. And it's like, I can almost live with that. But then it's like, when you have stuff like this, where just like you extend Borrego and then nine months later, you, you punt him out the door and then the, the plan to replace him falls through. And I, it just all of a sudden you're like, it feel everything. And then, you know, it's stuff with miles, like we can get into that now. Um, it's just, it's just a little, I don't know. It doesn't feel like a very like tight chip that's being run right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, that can be rectified this week to be clear. Like that, that can change, like that can change uh, by the end of Thursday night, or it can go, it can tilt you know, further worse in the other, the other direction here. Yeah. BG and real quickly, just before we move on, we're going to talk about miles, but you, you nailed it. Like, we were tricked in to believing there was a long-term plan here, but you look at the dominoes that fall and it's, it's very clear. There's not a long-term plan here. We've and that really started way. back to signing, signing Gordon Hayward to that, to that big contract. I mean, like that's where I would really start because it was in the, it was right at the beginning of what seemed like a young team that you need to be patient with. And just like everything that's happened since then, I mean, we don't have to walk through it all, but it's very clear that Michael Jordan just lives in the short-term reality. Every decision he makes is a short-term decision, whatever. I mean, follow me on Twitter. You know how I feel about this and him as an owner, but I just, it's, it's really infuriating and it makes you feel like the Hornets just need a lot of luck to really make this work, which is not impossible, but it's hard. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, 
and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, JJ breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Miles Bridges, extension. He is eligible for a $30 million max. Of course, Charlotte has his bird right, so they can give him five years. Everyone else can give him four Charlotte can give him give him eight percent raises. Everyone else can give him five percent raises. Richie made that very clear in the great newsletter. If you're a Buzzbeat Plus fan, you would you would have that information already. So Charlotte has the financial leverage. There's no question here. But the rumors are, and who knows if they're true or not. I believe Shams uh, is the one that that broke this today. That they're a little queasy about giving him a max extension. I just quickly and then BG curious on your thoughts. I, I just like if you're not going to extend miles, well, number one, you had the chance to to extend him already. Like he was extend, extension eligible and you didn't have to like even think about 30 million dollars. But the cheapskate extension offer you made him, you know, in the past, we all said at the time, like this is a gamble. If he takes another step forward, this is a, this is not going to fall in Mitch Cup. Mitch Kupchak and and MJ's lap uh, well. And, you know, it's just like, it's just another domino that I was talking about a minute ago. It's like, you can't even bet on your own guy as a small franchise that you drafted. Like just pay him a little bit of a premium now, which that premium is like a discount to where we are. It's just, gosh, it's infuriating. But I, in my opinion, if Charlotte does not pay whatever it takes, if it takes $30 million first year to bring Miles Bridges back and they say, yeah, we're good, we're willing to lose him for nothing because pulling off a sign-in trade, I think, as a small market is is pretty difficult. Like, that is going to be very depressing. Yeah, I I just don't think that can happen, like, personally. And, yeah, I mean, going back to last offseason – Frustrating to for for them for Miles to get just a low ball offer. I did think it presented kind of an interesting challenge this the, the up for the upcoming season of for both franchise and and Miles. Like how invested were they in Miles and, and how like could he take what he had done over the back third of his third season in the NBA and stretch it out for a full season? The answer is yes. Like he was he was awesome this year. Not a perfect player. Um, you know, I still think that he maxes out as like, you know, a number three guy on a, on a really good team, you know what I mean? But someone that you could run offense through can, but can play both sides of the pick and roll, you know, defensively, I understand, uh, the concerns there. I think there were some improvements, uh, that have been made, not just last season, but really over the last couple of years, not perfect. But, you know, he's, like, playable defensively and offensively. Like, he can do a lot of different stuff. He's a very creative and strong and powerful finisher and a guy that fits next to LaMelo and and someone that they ran a ton of offense through just inverted pick and roll this season with Bridges as, as like, a downhill driver. Like, he's a very good scorer and a pretty efficient scorer, and he doesn't even have, like, an in-between game. You know, like, it, it really is, like, dunks, floaters, you know, you lay a package stuff around the rim and then, you know, step back threes or catch and shoot threes or pick and pop threes. But 
I mean, I guess the concern would be, well, well first off, like the reporting from Sean's like, I'm sure that, that like he got that from a, that, that information from a legit source. I'd be curious to know like what the source was, you know, who the source was. The Portland um, Trailblazers. <laughs> yeah. The Portland Trailblazers or clutch sport or like Rich Paul. I mean, I, you know, that, that would make a lot of sense too. like, is this clutch trying to juice the market a little bit and using Shams as a, as a, you know, as a megaphone to do that. I don't totally, I just guess I don't totally necessarily buy it. Like it's one thing for Charlotte to potentially like say like they're going to be a little weary of maxing miles. I think maybe even there's some validity, like there's some, I could almost even understand some of that, but like they're, they, they have to retain this guy. I, you know, I don't, I just don't know. Like, the whole like when you're a small market team like Charlotte, when you draft and develop a guy like Bridges, that's the whole point. You you, you pay those guys, you bring them back, and, and yeah, it would have been great if you had locked him in with some years and some cost certainty on an extension a year ago. But like that, obviously, that window closed you know twelve months ago. So uh, you got to do what it, what it takes to to bring him back. And so yeah, I, I guess I guess my thing is I'm just not. Like I know there was a lot of like hand wringing and people upset on Twitter or whatever today about it. I, I'm just not. I won't be too worried about that until like it until it's actually like oh Portland or Detroit have agreed to they they've extended a max offer and Bridges has agreed to it. Now Charlotte has to decide whether they want to max or not. But it, until then, like I, I don't know. I feel pretty comfortable in Bridges being back in Charlotte. Yeah, you you guys laid it all out perfectly. I'll I'll just share some closing thoughts. Like I completely agree with you, BG. Like I'm not worried about it with the caveat that this has already been a really weird off season and a really weird week and like I guess I'm just a little on edge. I'm a little, I'm a little tense, boys. So like it, it makes no logical sense be, for all of the reasons that you guys just laid out. I have like it would, it would be a absolute disaster and travesty. And so I just, I'm not really letting myself seriously consider it either. Although the reporting is concerning and the context of this off season so far kind of leads me to believe that like nothing is impossible, but yeah, like miles bridges will be paid and we'll be back in Charlotte next season. I'm I'm going to, I'm going to hold to that line. I don't know if he just made the impulsive comment uh, that he'd take less in Charlotte. Like he was like, oh, crap, what did I just say? Or he actually meant it. But uh, that was a little surprising to hear him say, yeah, I love it here in Charlotte. And if I need to take a little less money, then okay, let's do it. Moving on. Uh, (laughs) The gift that keeps on giving Russell Westbrook. You know, the, the 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 flirting between him and MJ, you know, it's real. It's real. You, you, we've heard this for over a year now. Um, I don't really have any other thoughts other than what you, Brian, was just kind of saying about, you know, Shams and who's using him. Like, I, I think this is the Lakers probably not really giving a shit about MJ and just saying we're, we're going to throw this to the Wolves and try to stir up some, you know, get some people to call us. I just don't think it's real. I just don't believe it. I can't believe that. No, nah, I, I don't believe the MJ is going to pay this guy $47 million next season. I just don't. Even if that means getting off Hayward this season after, I, I don't believe it. it. It would be fascinating to see, wouldn't it? It, it really would. I mean, being able, like the, if you go by the, the, you know, the years, not money, uh, you know, Axiom, there's some, there's some interest, I think. Um, yeah, I think it certainly, we talked about this months ago, but just like, I would be here. The thing that interests me the most about this hypothetical 
uh, of like a you know Hayward Russ swap. It's just like what do the other like part like we know those to be the two principles in the deal, but like what are the other that, what are the that's, look that's like? what are the young players like like that's the stuff that I think like. Again, I, I get the, the these are the two big salaries. These are the, the old all stars or whatever. But I think the most interesting part of this hypothetical is actually like how and what greases the wheels to actually like get it done potentially. And well, yeah, because like, does it Hayward helps the Lakers in theory exactly. if he can stay healthy? Yes. Westbrook yeah. doesn't like. We already know that he can't help the Lakers, and we're not sure he can help anyone in this league. Yeah. Uh, he could probably help Moscow, but like, you know, like he's not helping any team in the just NBA. So Moscow, think, right now. Yeah, just <laughs> Moscow. Yeah, not the actual nation of Russia. But, um, so I, I don't. I, yeah, I don't see how Charlotte wouldn't have the leverage here, which is why I think like <laughs> I read something earlier that was. Uh, what was it? Russ for Rozier, Hayward, and Ubre. One of the highest followed Lakers accounts. I'm like, what? what? <laughs> I, I mean, I mean this, this, that, that just falls right in line with like the PJ Washington for a bag of chips and cash consideration. Yeah. Like, it's amazing how yeah. these like these Twitter personalities just take our talent with. with, with yeah. Like, oh, they would love. They would love to just give up this this 23 uh, year old. You know, stretch four or five that makes thirty eight percent of his threes, and, and you know, we could probably get them to throw in a, a, like a a twenty twenty six second round pick. I, I bet as well. I mean, like it, there also is just like another level of like. I mean, I think the the one of the people that continues to like bring up this hypothetical is is Kevin O'Connor at the Ringer, and it's like uh, you know, like if you if you create rumors with the Lakers and Russell Westbrook, like it's going to get clicks. People are going to look at it. You know what I mean? Like it, it, that is going to happen. I I couldn't even believe, I I guess I missed this. And I was listening to the low post with, with uh, Jonathan Gavoni on there today. I had no clue that there were some people that were, there was chatter that Kyrie would maybe take the mid level to go play in one of these like big market teams. Just like, no, like that, that will never, it's just not happening. I'm sorry. Like, I guess Kyrie's done more surprising things than than that would potentially, but it's like he's just not going to do that. Um, so I I don't know, but yes, the, the Hayward and, and Russ hypotheticals are. Uh, I mean, they're they're like I guess they're like fun off season fodder, but that seemingly is all they are. I, I um, think so too. Uh, sorry, Spencer. I'll make this. I'll make this one no, quick. No. I I, um, I do agree with Brian. Like. If you are going to actually entertain this trade intellectually, it okay. Number one, it makes the Hornets meaningfully worse next year. Like I, I don't think that is avoidable, even with Hayward's health, Russell Westbrook. Although, like I think it, it maybe people even go like a little too far on on Russ at times. Like he's not a completely useless player, but he 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 is not the contributor and all around player that Gordon Hayward is at this point in his career. Even if Gordon only plays fifty games, so the Hornets are meaningfully worse. The years is an interesting concept because you do get off a big bag of money a lot quicker and you have more roster flexibility with the young core moving forward. But the, the interesting part of this is exactly what BG already hit on. And I would hope and pray that this is, this would be the conversation. It's that the Lakers are getting the better end of this deal from a player contribution standpoint so how do they entice the Charlotte Hornets to take Russell Westbrook for one year? And, and, and is that enticement value, whatever it is, picks, 
a young player, not that they have that many. I mean, it's like Austin Reeves, Taylor Horton Tucker. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't know if you guys are big Mac McClung guys, but like, you know what I'm saying? Like they're not, they're not exactly like a treasure trove of young development prospects. So it seems to me that it would be hard if I was sitting in that seat to get me to do that. But it's not as like insane as some of the other stuff. If the Lakers could somehow make that work, but again, last like the Hornets would be worse next season. And I don't, I don't. If you're hiring Mike D'Antoni, like <laughs> again, it just gets to this place of like illogical reasoning and steps that make zero sense. I I just can't buy it, and I think it's. You know, I just think it's it's people on certain sides trying to, to feed the media something to, to stir something up. Um, so, all right. Well, moving on, we did just, get just just real quickly. What I would say, and again, like we'll only seriously entertain this thing if and when it comes to it. But like, if D'Antoni is the coach next season, and if there actually is a Westbrook trade, I guess the fascinating point would be. Would Charlotte actually like want to roster him next season or would they buy him out? I guess that's that's like something that we'd have to see. And like I guess the the one thing that Russ can still kind of do, and the last time that we saw him playing like big time like basketball that he where he could still be a winning player was in Houston next to Harden and then playing five out, right? And just letting Russ be the the like the, theoretically the the one guy that could slash and be in the paint. You know, there's again, this is so far in the weeds, but LaMelo as the primary in lineups with PJ Washington as the five could theoretically open the floor for Russ as just pure slash, slash against the rim, you know, get rim pressure, you know, touch the paint, touch the rim, that type of stuff. I mean, that's, that's like the most optimistic view of it. You know what I mean? And I don't see that coming to fruition, but I just did want to, to put that out there real quickly. All right. So listener question, and you mentioned one thing, you know, if, if Russ and this kind of cascades into the next question um, we get here, you know, if Charlotte traded for him and then bought him out, well, that's an open roster spot. And Rich, who is a Busby plus subscriber asked with three rookies last year, how many picks should we really use this year? The Hornets have um, three picks in the draft have three last year. And then Rich, thank you for your, your kind words. He says, I think you guys do an awesome job. Really enjoyed the special mock draft that you just did thanks for listening rich um that's awesome we appreciate that so i think like the two-way spots make this an easier um problem to solve than it used to be right you had 15 roster spots and you you know the g league was less of a thing you couldn't really place guys somewhere and and retain their rights the two-way spots have solved a lot of those problems i think the ultimate question becomes you know, you got a lot of non-guarantees here. We don't know what's happening with Ubre. Do you keep Kabalk on a two-way? Yeah, it seems like the team wants to see it through with Scotty Lewis. I mean, I'm just kind of reading the tea leaves. I don't know anything beyond that. But I think the Hornets have enough flexibility to use all three of these picks and keep all three of these players. Certainly the two first-round picks, obviously. Um, Second-round pick, we'll see. But, you know, and, but then you get into the reporting of it seems unlikely that Charlotte, if, if they had it their way, they're not going, you know, they're not selecting at 13 and 15. Um, one of those picks is going to be on the move. So I think they have plans to, to you know, keep themselves out that outside of that kind of dilemma. Um, so I would say, like, I guess to answer the question, I, I mean, I think Charlotte will probably draft 
they'll draft three times on draft night. They'll probably have the draft rights to two of those three players when we wake up the next day. Um, and I think, you know, 13 or 15 is probably going to be on the move um, between us talking right now and, and draft night. Is Would you guys – you guys think things fall through or you think that's probably the most likely scenario? Yeah. I mean, when I initially thought about this a couple of weeks ago, I, I actually thought it was more tighter than it was. But as you just laid out, Spencer, like you've got the flexibility of the two way spots, it, you know, Kabulka is almost 25. Now it kind of seems like maybe it's time to kind of move on, move on from him potentially, you know, is Isaiah Thomas coming back? Uh, you already mentioned Cody Martin. You already mentioned, uh, Ubre, so like, and and Montrez, like he he may not be back as well. So like, there there is some roster flexibility. Like we could take on three draft picks. Obviously, it does sound like one of the first round picks likely could be on the move. But like, it's it's definitely possible to roster three rookies. And if the draft falls a certain way, I would even be like very down to roster three rookies if they're if they're prospects that I'm <laughs> that I'm favorable to. So yeah, you, we can take on three draft picks. I don't think that's a problem. BG, what is your? I, I want, let me ask you this: What's your favorite deal involving the thirteenth pick, the fifteenth pick, packaged with Rosier? Like, have you, you like done that uh, kind of? Have you workshopped that? Because I've uh, thought about a lot of different scenarios. I'd have to go back and check some of my notes because I do think we looked at at some point we must have looked at like Go Bear hypotheticals. Although it does seem like Charlotte's completely fallen out of that race now. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we've kicked a can on Miles Turner. Uh, a bunch. I mean, there's even part of me that would almost be interested in, I mean, like I've look, I've look. you guys know how I feel about PJ. I think very highly of him as a player, but it's also like, you know, you, you could in theory do like PJ plus Mason Plumley for miles Turner and then use all of those picks. You know what I mean? It's like that there are, so there's, again, I, I don't know off the top of my head, the best way to sort of like, package that stuff to upgrade the roster. I've been so deep in just like sort of draft scouting, draft prep, like that, that aspect of it. Um, you know, every year I sort of like root for the Hornets to, to use all their picks and to, to sort of like, especially under the current front office that's drafted pretty well, like trust their scouting department and go, go get some good players. Um, I've also always been in the camp too, that just like Charlotte is a team that needs to add, as many good young players as they possibly can. Like you just need as many, as many, you know, uh, opportunities to draft someone that could be a difference maker. Because like right now, as we've seen based off the last two seasons, like barring Gordon Hayward being able to play a full year, like they're just, they're short, right? They're short. Uh, They don't have enough defensively. They need help in terms of offensive creation. um, Even with the developments that Miles Bridges has made. So they just, they need players, you know, um, and the draft is the best way to go about getting those guys in, in my opinion. So I'm always of the, of the notion that like they should use these picks. They should go draft these guys and try to go add some good players to the pipeline here. So I do think there is, I do think there's depending on how they, what they want to do as far as trades or bringing guys back a la Cody Martin, there absolutely could be room for all three of these guys on the roster. It's also important to note, like, they could at some point in the next three years be out of first round pick, right? Like the, the pick that they sent to Kai to New York to get to draft, get back in the first round and draft Kai Jones last year has now been routed to Atlanta via the Cam Reddish trade. 
Like they're, they're, they're down a first round pick, you know what I mean? Like at some point, I, mean, I know Which it's is why cool. they really have to capitalize on these two. Yeah, I know. This year. I mean, they, 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 they lucked up to get the, the 15th pick, you know, like yeah. new Orleans got hot the last two months of the season, got into the, like won the play in, you know, and then got into the, the playoffs like that via the Devonte Graham sign and trade is how they got this pick. So like, yeah, it's like found money, but it's like kind of necessary because again, they're out one pick already. And they may be they, they may need to use some of these picks to I don't know like upgrade the roster or or move some salary around. But my preference would be that you you use these picks and go draft and add. Two, like Lamelo is twenty years old. He doesn't turn twenty one until August. You know, yeah. so like I just well sorry sorry NC State University is calling me right now. Um, I will not be donating to my alma mater tonight. <laughs> so, come on. Unless, unless that's Terquavion Smith calling me or Terquavion Seabrook calling me. I don't, I have no interest. Uh, so apologies for that there. Um, but yeah, that, that would be my thought that not only like, not only can there be room on this roster depending on, for these three picks, depending on the moves they make. In fact, like, I think you should look at this as a big time opportunity. You've got three picks inside the top 45, two inside the top 15 and go make them count. Hopefully. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, I, I want to throw it to you Nelly because we can package all this into the same kind of conversation. So there was also a report. I believe this was O'Connor. Forgive me if I'm if I'm wrong, but that Shaden Sharp worked out. It might actually. I'm not sure. Maybe it was Draft Express, but Shaden Sharp worked out for Charlotte, which um, seems surprising considering he's like a pretty much uh, unanimously inside the top seven or eight, right in this draft. And Charlotte's not sniffing that. So is there a packaging of thirteen and fifteen? Is there some flirting going on there? Could Charlotte package these picks and maybe it would take something else? I'm, I'm not sure. I've, I've seen some what you can find on Sharp on the internet. Um, I don't know, Lee. What do you think? Like, I, I actually like a lot. Like, his shot creation is second to none, I would say, in this draft in terms of like a wing guard. But I. I Boy, there's a lot of question marks here that would make me pretty queasy for Charlotte to <laughs> to pat you know to hand up a lot of draft capital and possibly even another player to jump up and draft him. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I think the logical assumption is if Charlotte is courting Sharp, that they have to be considering moving up in some sort of fashion. Although I say I, I think that is like base case, most logical reasoning. Although like you start doing some exercises with this board and like somebody is going to be available, like, you know, at 13, depending on how this, yep. how this goes. Like if, if both the centers go prior to, to, to Charlotte, like that means one of the wings is falling, like, like a Johnny Davis, a, a Sohan, like a sharp, like one of these AJ guys, unless another possibility to fall to 13, which so. I would be thrilled with. And, I, and we'll probably get into some of that later, but like, you know, so I, I just wanted to make that point too, that like, yes, I do. I totally think that if they are enamored with sharp and that's their guy, they probably are going to have to move up to get him. Um, but, but I also just want to make the point that when you really start digging into like, how is this going to fall? Like there's going to be some really interesting options on the table. And so I'll say this, uh, and I know BG has has some opinions on Sharp as well. I don't know what they are, so it w- would be maybe fun if we disagreed on this but a little bit potentially. But you're right, Spencer. Like, it's hard to find stuff on him. You, you know, if you have Synergy, you can get his EYBL stuff from last summer. 
He played with Uplay, uh, EYBL out of Canada. And, uh, and I've gone through the EYBL stuff. And obviously it's a year ago and it's not against college level SEC competition. He set out at Kentucky. I, I, I'm not a fan. He is, he's a big guard that is very talented, really fits the eye test. Like you watch this dude. If you wa- if you clipped certain clips of sharp, you would absolutely be like, that guy looks like a number one pick. Like no doubt about it. I mean, some of the isolation, like combo move, step back stuff is ridiculous. He's very, very springy, very athletic, very strong. He actually, one thing I do like about him he really does a good job of like avoiding charges and like finishing around around like chart like defenders that are trying to draw a charge on him or even contest at the rim. He can show like he can hang long enough to show you the ball, take it away, and finish on the other side. Like he's got some great stuff. The problem with Sharp, particularly in Charlotte, is that like he is a ball stopper, like mm-hmm. full stop. He is a catch the ball. I just defender down. And and to be fair, the counterpoint could be he was in the EYBL. He's the best player by far on his team. This is how he played. He could adapt to another system. Maybe. I didn't see it. Like, didn't see much of a interest in playing any defense, cutting off the ball, relocating for open shots. Like, he's a catch and do work guy. And, like, his size and his shot making, like, maybe that works in the NBA – there, there's there's a lot of they're different players they're different physical profiles but there's a lot of book night in him into where it's like pound the ball pound the ball pound the ball try and finish athletically around the rim jump shot is kind of a question I, I, I just I don't love the fit although I understand why he is tantalizing real quickly BG and then I'm going to give the floor to you because I'm sure you've you know you probably know him as well as any of us but you know, his vertical athleticism does not match up with his side to side athleticism. I, I from the little bit of film that you can get out there, he's got some he's got some pretty heavy feet for a guy that allegedly has like a 48, 49, you know, inch. He's not lead. a burst. He's not a burst. No, he's guy. not. He's like, a, he's a I, I, Lee, like I totally herky jerky stuff. No, I totally is, agree. Like there's there's some like yeah, there's some bust kind of stuff in there. It's great that you can get to your step back going right and left and get any jump shot you want. But, like, if you're shooting that jump shot at 34% and you're not getting to the rim, you won't be in the NBA. It's also a problem if you're shooting, shooting that step back because you can't get around the guy. This exactly. Too, yep. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And, yeah. and not like a G, not like a defender in the G League or a defender in the ACC or the Big Ten or whatever. You know, we're talking EYBL defenders and high school defenders. Um, you know, he did measure all with over a plus seven inch wingspan, almost yeah, six eleven and a half wingspan at the combine. So he does have that. Obviously he is like an explosive vertical leaper. Um, and some of like the alley catches he has off of two feet are, they're pretty, pretty sick. I do think there are some like moments where he's able to sort of like change direction in the open floor a little bit, or maybe when he's got room out of a ball screen, to get downhill and, you know, use behind the back dribble to change direction, split defenders can be a powerful finisher going through contact, maybe a little reliant on, on that right hand, um, but has good lifts, good hang time. And, you know, Lee mentioned some of those like hanging reverse finishes he has where he's able to like contort going baseline. Um, I kind of like him most when he's put in, and this would, this would be different than sort of like the archetype that, his, his like his time on the basketball with like, he might want to be a guy that is going to be a 20, whatever percent usage guy and run, pick and roll and do all of this other stuff. 
I like him more in like a quick catch and finish situation. So attacking off the catch, driving against a defense that's already been tilted, uh, post-ups. Like he, he is like pretty like, you know, seal and get these quick, you know, high-low entry passes and he'll be able to, you know, explode and finish or getting points in the open court. Um, he's a pretty like creative cutter, and like a pretty good finisher, a guy that can get back door and find pockets of space and be, again, be explosive finishing around the rim. But like he's not that bursty. First step isn't that good. And so he just doesn't create like obvious separation in one-on-one situations. Then you combine those issues with the burst, with the handle, and it leads to some like pretty ugly turnovers and some possessions where you like really will question, I don't know, like the individual offensive process. Um, I think there are issues with his motor too, specific to his defense, but just like this is the guy that was initially in, you know, would have been in the, the draft class a year from now until he reclassified. And there's a guy that's going to be in the 2023 draft class named Scoot Henderson that I know, Lee, you've watched just doing G League film this year. Totally different story. Scoot Henderson is one of those guys you've watched and just reeks of a star with the basketball. Turns the corner every time, gets into the paint every time, easy advantage creation, um, and then just like the explosive live dribble finishing off that burst. Just incredible. I cannot wait to talk more about Scoot Henderson next season. Uh, with you guys. I don't feel that way about Shaden Sharp. I kind of see the vision, but as a guy that you put next to LaMelo as like a, like a, you know, power finisher to give you some shot creation and some athleticism, you know, finishing, I I see that vision. I don't know. I think that's like wish casting Sharp a little bit into that, that sort of like second guard gunner role. Um, I think that's maybe he maybe is better suited to be like a peg or two further down sort of like the offensive pecking order. But, you know, like I'm intrigued for sure, but I, this would not be – in general, I don't like the thought of packaging picks to move up, you know, unless you're moving up to four to get Jaden Ivey, in which case, yes, do that. But um, short of that, no, just in general, I don't think it's like a very good good practice in terms of, you know, you know managing your picks and in, in, in your roster and stuff. And Sharp does not seem like the kind of guy that I would want to go – all in for. I see why he's a top eight prospects, top, top seven pick or whatever in this draft, but um, I would be uh, concerned uh, to say the least with him as a prospect. He's just, he's going to take time. Like no matter what, this is a long-term development piece. And so like yeah. for a team that's also trying to win now, it makes even less sense for, for Charlotte, I think. <clears throat> Let's end with this. We'll, we'll do two things at once. So give our preference. We're going to assume Charlotte hangs on to 13 and 15. So Everyone give their preference for those two picks. And then maybe this player is in these two picks you're going to give, or maybe he's not, but a player that's just generally caught your eye, you know, that, that's going to be in somewhat Charlotte's range. Uh, doesn't necessarily have to be for them. I'll, I'll start us off real quick. So player that's caught my eye, you know, I, the stats aren't great. I mean, you know, down in New Zealand, you know, the NBL league, Usman Jang, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I mean, it's hard to watch him and not be very, very intrigued. If you have not looked at his statistical profile yet, here's what I would ask you to do. Don't look at it. Just go watch his film and then look at his shooting numbers and be like, wait a minute. I'm, what, what's not adding up here? Also, make um, sure make sure to watch from like the last month of the season too. If you want to see uh, like the, the the good stuff too, the you good know what stuff. I mean? Yeah, yeah. Super intrigued, and he's kind of exactly what Charlotte needs. Uh, not exactly what they need is a center, obviously, but like a, a big wing who can do some stuff defensively at different positions. 
in in some weird ways, he's like a not exactly the same player, but I I couldn't watch him and not help but think like an, a younger Nick Batum, like before Nick Batum broke all of our hearts. Like there, there's some <laughs> similarities in there somewhere. Not the exact same player at all, and I, I think Jake's a pretty good athlete, but um, he's who intrigues me the most. I think in this draft, like he's barely 19 years old. Played professional basketball last year, although not in a great league. He's 6'9". He really looks like, to me, he can shoot the basketball. Like, it, the, the numbers don't look great, but my goodness, that look that stroke looks like it's going to translate, and he's going to be able to get that shot over anybody, even in the NBA. My picks at 13 and 15, realistically speaking, like, I think if Mark Williams is there at 13, because uh, I think the point you you brought up, Lee, in the last episode that I was on, you know, you got to worry about somebody trading up to 14 potentially and grabbing him in that Cleveland spot because I don't think they're taking a center. But I think you got to draft him at 13. He's the most likely center to be there then. I don't think Jalen Durant's going to be there. And then really, like, then I'm just praying that <laughs> Jeremy uh, Sohan makes it to 15. <laughs> He won't make it to 15, so that that would be a tough spot for Charlotte to be in. If Sohan was available, the centers we expect to be off the board are off the board, and Williams is there. Like, now that I'm thinking about it, as I say that, I I might take Sohan at 13 and just pray that Williams is there at 15 just because I love Sohan so much. I just think – like, Sohan – could have played in the NBA finals this year. He's that kind of guy. Like he's just going to come in and he's going to give you energy. He's going to grab rebounds. He's going to make plays on defense. Like, can he shoot? Can he do anything offensively? You're just kind of, that's just added, uh, you know, that's just like cherry on top, but he's just, he's such an active basketball player. He's going to impact the game immediately in the NBA. And I think Charlotte's roster really needs a guy like that because they don't really have it. So Ann's feel for the game and his defense, there are some like, you know, Iguodala vibes that, that it gives me. I will say we did, uh, Lee and I, like a week or two ago, did a podcast where on a couple of different prospects and we covered Jang pretty in-depthly. And I think both of us uh, like him a, a good bit as a prospect. So I like Jang and it does seem like like him sliding into the top 10 of the draft is what could push someone like Jeremy Sohan to 13 or could push AJ Griffin or Johnny Davis to 13 or, you know, um, you know, Jalen Duran to 13 or something like that. You, you know, we'll see how things play out Thursday night, but that does seem to be one of the things that's shaking up the order just a little bit more here at the end. I do think Jang's going to have to get, you know, a little bit stronger, um, a little more explosive athletically. Um, but again, some of the stuff he does as a as a pick and roll creator and a driver is like it's uh, it's entertaining to say the least, and like perhaps promising to to if you really want to bet and dream on it. My my like dream scenario would be Sohan falling to thirteen. Um, for me, he is just exactly what Charlotte needs: perimeter defense, guy that can guard a bunch of different player types along the per, along the perimeter. Uh, can give Charlotte another guy that can be a part of the offensive flow in the half court, swing, swing, set screens, can handle, can run inverted pick and roll, guard a bunch of different position types, um, just a high field player that would be awesome to put around LaMelo in Miles Bridges. So like, and then I would say someone like Williams and Mark Williams at 15, like I would maybe take what Spencer said and just flip it and say Williams at 15 to be hopefully like the, the sort of like true traditional center that you can, you know, run screen roll with, let him dive to the hoop and perhaps try to get into some more conservative and conventional pick and roll coverages 
um, depending on how you fill out the roster with perimeter personnel, but maybe you could invite um, some more drop coverage into the mix with someone like Williams. I do think it's worth keeping an eye on some of the names that I just mentioned, like can AJ Griffin fall to 13, like a special shooting prospect, someone that maybe does have a glimmer of superstar potential. Like if physically he's there and he can trust his body um, as it is a guy that like, has step back three potential, just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful shot and shot versatility from a bunch of different levels of the court. Um, Someone like Johnny Davis, if he could fall to 13, I don't think these are all like maybes and ifs, but um, it is a possibility that one of them will be there. So I think it's worth keeping an eye on all of those guys. So yeah, Lee, I'll throw it over to you. What do you think about picks 13 and 15? And maybe is there anyone else that's, uh, that's caught your eye here late in the draft process? Yeah. So, all right, this is kind of how I'm thinking about it. I like, I have been going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth on Duran and Williams, all draft process. I have finally settled on, I think I'm literally going to have Williams one slot ahead of Dern. Like it's, it's a razor thin margin for me. They both bring different things. We've already covered all that. I don't need to get in the weeds. I'm just making the point that I would be thrilled with either one of them at 13. Uh, maybe both are gone. You know, I, I don't think there's any chance both of them are available and that, and Charlotte actually has to make that decision. I favor Williams by the slimmest, slimmest of margins. I also am like, I think I'm, pretty alone on this island at this point. Although I think Spencer likes them too. Like if they were both gone, I wouldn't like be riding in the streets if we took Walker Kessler. Like I, I still really like Kessler a lot. So, so he is like a definitely a tear down in terms of bigs. So Williams and Duran thrilled with either one Kessler would be okay with, wouldn't necessarily be like riding home about it, but it'd be cool with it. And then if we keep 15 or all the bigs are gone, my dream is either, like, it's four guys. Any of these guys fall. Blake Wesley, Jeremy Sohan, A.J. Griffin, or Johnny Davis. Run to the podium. Any of those four, happy as a clam. And then kind of one tick down from those those four guys, kind of in the same uh, vein as, like, Williams, Duran, then way down Kessler. Those four guys I just named, then a tier down, Ty Ty Washington, Ochai Abaji. Like, pretty cool with either one of those guys as well. And then I will end with a guy that has really caught my eye that I've been tweeting about a lot the past week. If you follow me, you're probably sick of me tweeting about him. Is Stanley Amude from Arkansas. Um, he's, a, he's a brick of a perimeter defender. Dude. Just an <laughs> absolute brick. Freaking guy, defender. man. He Okay, look, he is 23 years old. He's a fifth-year college player. He was like a big-time scorer at, I believe, South Dakota before transferring to, to Arkansas. Um, for his fifth year, he's a 37% career three-point shooter on big volume. As Brian just said, he's 6'6", 210, absolute brick house, stonewall defender. The last two games I've watched on him, he guarded Banchero and Tari Eason, like for the majority of the game. And obviously those two got, well, Banchero more than Eason, like obviously still got his buckets, but he yeah. made <laughs> Paolo was pretty good in that game. <laughs> he made he made it difficult on him though, man. Like he made it hell. And I barely see this guy even in second rounds. And it's just kind of a, I know he's old, but like how many of these kind of older prospects are we like three months into the NBA season? You know, he's like the eighth man on a decent team. And you're like, how the heck did nobody draft this guy? Like Stanley Amude, I'm just getting it on the record. I think he's an NBA player. Yeah, like it's sort of similar. Like we talked about Gabe Brown 
uh, last week, rightly. It's we'll another one of those guys where you're just like, this is one of these like wing defenders that can do his tools. He can do a bunch of stuff and shoot, um, you know, probably going to have a shot at the next level. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I like Mude. He's one of those guys that didn't pop for me until I was doing Duke, Arkansas prep leading into that game. And it's, if you put on Arkansas film, you can't, you're like, can't you're going <laughs> to gravitate to him because he just looks like, yeah, he's got like the PJ Tucker build out there, you know, floating around. I do think one other name I do want to toss in because I, I know we're running up against it, but we've talked a lot about centers. I don't think we had mentioned Mude's teammate at any point during this process, which is, you know, it is what it is, but maybe a bit of a miss on our part. But just Jalen Williams. Um, he's awesome too, man. He's a really he's a great, good player. Yeah, great player. Maybe he'll be there at 45 for Charlotte. I, I can see him going well before then too, but just – Excellent team defender. Even if he can't shoot it, I think there's there's a chance he might be able to shoot it at the next level. His ability to, to screen, his feel for the game, the team defense, his ability to slide and guard in space, like the scheme versatility he might be able to give you as a pick-and-roll defender. Pretty intriguing stuff. and just seems like a guy that's going to be a rotation center in the NBA for a long time. Probably not what Charlotte's exactly looking for at the five, which is probably why we didn't touch on him because he's not like a run-and-jump guy, but... Um, what he does, uh, I think, would be um, yeah, pretty pretty interesting as far as just like what he how he projects to the next level. And I did want to for like two weeks now, I've been wanting to get a Jalen Williams plug in. So um, now that we're talking Razorbacks, a team that I know we're going to be watching a lot next season. I'm very excited for the, for the Nick Smith uh, era and Anthony Black era down there. But uh, we'll talk more about those guys in nine months from now. Anything else, boys, on this episode of, uh, of BuzzBeat before we sign off until the draft here? Can't wait well, for the draft, man. I just got word that we're going to have a very, very special uh, guest on Thursday. That yes. I'm not, I, yes. You're going to have to tune in to see who this is, but uh, you will not be disappointed. So let's just leave it at that. It's going to um, be it's going to be future Hornets shooting guard, Russell Westbrook. That's gonna, <laughs> that's be, he'll join us Thursday night. Shooting? Guard, what are you talking about? He's gonna be ball dominant point guard. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's true. Lumelo sliding to the two to make former make former MVP. That's true. Yeah. Right, let's, get, let's get it straight. Yeah, yeah. Boy, uh, the things age quickly in the NBA. That's for sure. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode of Buzz Beat. Like Spencer alluded to, we will have a special guest that will be joining us live on YouTube. For about 10 to 15 minutes, we'll keep you guys posted when we do go live. If the Hornets do draft and keep those picks at 13 and 15, you could probably expect us to go on a little bit before 13 and stay on a little bit after 15. So thanks again for tuning in uh, to another BuzzBeat episode, and we will talk to you guys later.